You are listening to the podcast from Mosaic Church. Stay tuned afterward for more info about how to get and stay connected with our church family. Now, let's dive into this week's message. Hi, everybody, and welcome. What a day it's been so far, as always. If this is your first time here with us at Mosaic, we sure hope it's not your last. Let me try to pull together all that you've seen, all that you've heard today, and point us ahead to the school year that's to come. And to do that, I want to tell you one of my all-time favorite stories. is about a man from Australia named Stephen Bradbury. February 17th, 2002 was a day not unlike many others for Stephen Bradbury, the Olympic speed skater from Australia. Uh, He got up that day, he got dressed, he got his breakfast, he went to the rink, he put on his skates, he prepared to compete. Only this was no ordinary competition. That day, February 17th, was the finals for the 1,500-meter short track speed skating event at the 2002 Winter Games in Salt Lake City, Utah. But unknown to most people who were watching that day, Stephen had nearly died twice in competition. The first time, a competitor's blade sliced open his quadriceps, sliced open his femoral artery, and he was already losing blood by the time he he hit the ice with his heart going more than 180 BPM. He lost nearly four liters of blood that day. The, The human body only holds six. The team doctor actually had to leap over the wall and stick his hand inside Stephen's leg to close the vein so they could get him to a hospital in nearby Montreal to save his life. And he got 111 stitches. We got a picture of it. You're welcome for this, by the way. But 111 stitches later, he walked away determined to compete again. In 2000, uh, in, a, in a training exercise, he crashed and he broke his neck. He actually had to have a, a halo screwed into his skull to stabilize his vertebrae. The doctors advised him to stop competing because they said, if you crash again, any, any accident involving your neck will likely leave you paralyzed for life, but he kept training and he kept training and he kept competing and he kept working. And at those Olympics in Utah, he only advanced out of the quarterfinals when the second place finisher in front of him was disqualified for obstruction, moving Stephen into second place and into the semifinal heat. In the semifinal heat, three competitors crashed in front of him, moving him up into again second place and putting him into the final. So just to be in the finals, you would have thought would have been enough for Stephen Bradbury. He had no idea what was going to happen next. He was facing the stiffest competition of his career, including the number one skater in the world, the American uh, Apollo Anton Ono. You may remember the name. His odds to be Australia's first ever winter gold medal winner. Those odds that day were slim to none. So Stephen stepped up to the line. He took his mark. And according to him, here is what happened next. I wasn't all that nervous going into the final. I was uh, excited to be in the final and I knew that you know I'd, I'd had a, a, a fair amount of luck to get from the semi-finals to the final and I was just out there soaking out the atmosphere and, and hoping that I could skate well. The goals I had for myself for Salt Lake were quite simply just to skate what I thought was my best and satisfy myself. On paper I was probably at best maybe the eighth best skater in the field. Some of the things that have happened to me throughout my skating career have been, uh, I guess, a rollercoaster ride is a good way to describe it. And you know, I only went to Salt Lake because I didn't feel I'd skated my best at the previous three Olympics before that. Basically, just 
took up the tactic, well, my best chance here is only, it's only a very minimal chance, but I'm just going to stay out of the way, and that way, if anything does happen, then I'll be there to capitalise. I ended up dropping off the, the back of the other four guys with about two laps to go, and uh, ended up being uh, 15 or 20 metres down when uh, yeah, the chaos happened and everybody fell down. The way I won the race, I wasn't going to be the guy that uh, you know, went around pumping the air and, and punching his fists around everywhere and, uh, and waving his arms around. I just sort of put my arms up in, a, in disbelief and, and had a look of what the f*** is going on here in my face. A lot of emotions all at once and some of them were, I guess, a little hard for me to, to deal with and they still are. So, but, uh, you know, I've got the gold medal and just look at it like that, I guess. The medal ceremony was something that I will always remember for a number of different reasons, but the main one being that I was having trouble uh, dealing with it the way that I won the race. And you know, sure, I, I won the gold medal, but I wasn't the strongest skater out there. And you know, I, was, I would have liked to have been the guy who won the race because I was the strongest. And, I didn't feel 100% right about it all and the medal ceremony uh, just expelled all those feelings as soon as the flag went up and the anthem started playing. It was like there was nobody else in the stadium and it was just a couple of minutes for me, so yeah, it was pretty good. Yeah, don't you love that? Uh, I mean, it's true, isn't it? As the Hebrew prophet said, that the, the race doesn't always go to the swift. And the battle doesn't always go to the strong. As you can imagine, as the first Winter Olympics gold medalist in his nation's history, Stephen Bradbury immediately became a national hero. Within a week, Australia put out a postage stamp with his image on it. Yeah, he was on a stamp. His very name has become a cultural icon in Australia, coming from behind against all odds to win. is called doing a Bradbury or pulling a Bradbury. And as one Australian announcer put it, you know, people like to say that he, that he got lucky. But if it hadn't have been for the last 10 years of preparation, he never would have been there. If it hadn't been for the last 10 years of work and commitment, he never would have had a chance. And I'll never forget what, what Vern Lundquist, the announcer that day, he said of Bradbury's impossible win. He put it like this. He said, and this just goes to show that more than half a life is showing up. And it's true, isn't it? More than half of life is just showing up. See, see because of this, the training. He could do that, show up and win the gold. Because of this, the stitches and the, and the broken neck and the, and the heartbreak, he could do that, stay on his feet when everyone else fell. Because of this, the fact that he didn't quit in the past, he could do that, he could show up, become his nation's hero. And, and part of the reason I love this story, and maybe you love it too, I sure hope you do, is that it reminds me of another story we've already looked at, we've already talked about in part today. You know the story, you know the one about the Jewish water boy and the Philistine iron man, about the, you know, the one about the low-tech shepherd and the high-tech giant, the one about David and Goliath, the one where the race didn't go to the swift and the battle didn't go to the strong. 
and the same thing that I think is true about David the shepherd and Stephen the skater, I think is also true today about all of you students, all of you teachers, all of you educators, all you parents who have somehow suddenly all just been promoted to being the CTO of your, your home, whether you wanted to be that or not. See, this year in school, the race won't go to the swift. I don't think the battle's going to go to the strong. This year, the race, the battle, is going to go to the one who just shows up. See, because more than half a life is just showing up. And so to all you parents, you got kids entering kindergarten this year and the kids don't even know how school is supposed to look or even what it's been in the past. They don't even know what they don't know. And you got to sign them on like every 45 minutes while you're trying to do work stuff or house stuff or life stuff. I want to tell you, it's okay. It's going to be okay because once upon a time, remember, You didn't even know if you could give birth. You didn't even know if you could adopt that child or raise that child, but you've done that. And if you did all of that, then you could do this now. So to all you elementary age students and parents, and you know, once upon a time, you didn't even know if you could do kindergarten, but you did. And if you did that, you can do this. To all of you middle school students, remember once upon a time, you didn't even know if elementary school would ever end. And maybe you're just starting out in sixth grade this year and you're super sad because you don't get to go to that building while maybe others do quite yet. Or you know, maybe you're in seventh and eighth grade and it's all crazy. But remember, you made it through life. Last year, and you're going to make it through this year because more than half a life is just showing up because the race doesn't always go to the swift. Remember, the battle doesn't always go to the strong. You can do this because you've done that. And maybe you're in high school and your freshman year is definitely not going how you thought that it would. Or maybe you're a senior, you're running down that college dream and you're trying to figure it all out. Well, let me tell you something right now. We are all trying to figure it out. No one knows what will happen tomorrow. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And yet, and yet, I think you can be seniors. I think we can be, we could be, we can be, we should be. Like that low-tech shepherd boy who understood that even though his dad overlooked him, even though his brothers looked down on him, even though the odds were stacked against him, he knew he was going to be okay because he knew something that all the other adults in the room that day, on the battlefield that day, had forgotten. David knew that God was with him. God had been with him in that little field back in Bethlehem when no one else was around. God was with him when his family wasn't. God was with him when he faced down the scary lion alone. God was with him when he faced down and took on that scary bear. And God was going to be with him in this scary battle with this scary giant too. See, if this, then that. And for all of you, you college students, nope. Nope, your freshman year, not going to look like that filter soap photograph that your parents had from back in the day at their alma mater, you, and uh, for all of you upperclassmen, maybe you're just trying to get on with life. At this point, I want to tell you the same thing. God is with you in this battle as well. And especially for all of you educators, teachers, administrators, assistant principals, principals, coaches who have worked all summer uh, to figure out what to do in what feels like an impossible situation. You've worked all summer to make tough choices. And I know you only really care about the students. I just want to say thank you. Thank you for all that work. And I'll say to you now what David said to Saul at that moment when on that day everyone else back down and back away. Here's what I 
say to you, David said to Saul, 1 Samuel 17, 32, let no one lose heart. Let no one's heart fail on account of this challenge they're facing. Let no one's heart fall because of what they're facing right now. If you've done this, you can do that. If God was with you last year, he's going to be with you this year. You say, all right, Morgan, all right. This helps a little bit. I'm feeling a little inspired right now. Okay, on one hand, I hope so. Good. That's part of the point. But I want to give you now, now, lastly, finally, a better reason for being inspired than just the story of David alone. I want to give you a better if this than that. Because no matter, no matter what your Sunday school teacher or whoever camp counselors told you, the David story, the David and Goliath story, isn't really about you. And it's, if you think the point of the story is that if you have the faith that David, that your giant's automatically going to fall, you've missed the larger, better point. Because let's not forget David's faith, right, David? His faith, it comes and it goes. He's amazing right here in this story, but he's terrible. Later, years later, at another point, David actually doesn't go out and fight. His heart falls and fails. His courage goes missing too. The point of this story is not ultimately to inspire you to be like David, to put yourself in David's shoes. That's part of it, but not really all of it. So you ask, what is this story ultimately about? This story ultimately is about God's salvation. It's about how the God of the Bible saves. Let me ask you, where are you? Who are you in this story? David and Goliath, are you David? Are you Goliath? Are you Saul? Where am I? Where are you? Let me tell you, I think we all are way less like David. We are way more like the soldiers of Israel's army. We are unable to face, fight, defeat this giant in front of us. And unless someone steps in, unless someone becomes our champion and fights for us, we have no hope. See, that day on that battlefield with David, God did not send Israel an example to inspire them. No, he sent them a savior, but a savior of a different kind. David stepped in and fought as their legal representative, as their champion and fought. Hear me. He didn't just fight for them. He fought as them. He did not save them that day through inspiration, but through imputation. Imputation is the awarding of something to you through the actions of another. You know, kind of like when your nation's speed skater comes from behind against all odds to win the gold. The honor he gets now comes to you. You feel honored because he is. See, the Israeli army was saved and they didn't do a thing. In fact, they did less than nothing. They cowered in their tents. But David's victory as their champion meant that his victory became theirs. What David won passed to every person there by being on David's side. They were automatically victorious. And when they realized, oh, when those soldiers realized, when they saw that something had been imputed to them now, now they were inspired. Look at this, verse 51 and 52. When the Philistines saw that their hero was dead, they turned around. Then, then, then the men of Israel and Judah surged forward with a shout and pursued the Philistines. See, now they were inspired. After seeing the victory had been imputed, now they could chase down what was afflicting them because the greatest 
enemy they could ever face had already been defeated by their champion. Oh, can you see this? Yes, it is a hero story, but it's like a hero story from another world. Uh, it's radical. It's subversive. It means that God saves not through your effort, not through you being inspired, but through the saving action of his divinely chosen champion, David's greater descendant, a greater king, Jesus Christ. How did Jesus do it? Like David, Jesus didn't try to put on someone else's clothes to fight. No, Jesus was actually stripped of his clothes on the cross. And unlike David, he didn't just risk his life. He lost his life. Jesus was killed in battle for us. He fell. He lived for us. And he died as us. Oh, but God raised him up from the dead to show you that the battle didn't go to the strong on the cross that day. It went to the weak. See, God saves through weakness and to be saved. To become a Christian today means the same. It means you come humbly to God in weakness and you say, God, would you rescue me? Would you save me? Would you be my champion, my savior? And then, and then, and then, now, today, looking forward to this school year to live as a Christian means you look at whatever you're facing today and you know, like those soldiers looked at Goliath's body, you're looking at a defeated enemy. And now you say, if this has been defeated, then I know I can do all of that. I can do all things to Christ who gives me strength. If Jesus went through all of this, friend, let me tell you, and he now lives, his victory passes to you. And you don't have to be afraid of any of that anymore. Friends, church, let's have a great year. So we go back to school. Let's have a great year. We can do this because he, he has done that. Let me take a moment and pray for you. God, I thank you today. Every person watching this, first of all, I pray for every student today that you would give them the courage that they need to face down everything they're facing. You give them patience. You give them uh, resources. Lord, you help provide for them even through us and the people around them for what they need. Lord, I bless them today. I thank you for every parent today who's struggling, who's juggling, who's trying to face down uh, every challenge coming to them from a brand new educational system. Lord, give them help. Give them grace. And I pray for our schools. Pray for our administrators and teachers. Thank you for them as they labor to do their best on behalf of the children and students are trying to serve. Lord, would you give us strength collectively? Would you help us to remember that because you've done all of this, we can do now that. Pray for all of them today. Thank you for them. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. For more info about how to get and stay connected to Mosaic Church, please visit us online at www.mosaicchurchaustin.com or download our app from your app store.